Many gifts, one spirit. Make us whole, God. Make us whole. It's a wonderful prayer. Wonderful music this morning. I, I just felt myself wrapped up in that voice from Christy Irvin. I just kind of thought, ah. We indeed celebrate while we're here. We have beautiful talents, beautiful gifts, and together we seek to live as one. We seek to let them meld together so that we are one family and we hear God's voice and together we know that in the body of Christ, nothing can separate us from one another, nothing can separate us from God's love, though this week has given me pause for concern. It's been a challenging week. You know, it's been a horrible week that has had horrors in it. And so when we come to Many Gifts, One Spirit, and we see that wonderful image, and we say, oh, God, our, our, our heart is broken because it's just not so yet. It's just not so. That kingdom you would create in this world hasn't yet arrived for everyone. We see it maybe in glimpses, but not everywhere. In the prayer group before our 9 o'clock service, we have a prayer before each worship service. One of the prayers said, As your heart is broken, O God, may our heart be broken. And surely with some of the news this week, God's heart has been broken. May our hearts be broken too. It's interesting because this part of the scripture in Romans chapter 10 that we're in is a part of three chapters. Part of 9, 10, and 11. And some people say these 9, 10, and 11 chapters are an interruption to what Paul's trying to do with the book of Romans. And some other scholars say they're actually the point of what Paul's trying to do with the book of Romans. At the beginning of chapter 9, Paul says, My heart is broken. My heart is broken. I'm grieving for all those of my family all of those of my heritage, all of those that I have trusted in before who haven't been able to come along into this good news. He said, I'm just grieving. My heart goes out to them. Why, why can't they? He goes through three chapters of talking about why they can't come along, why they can't understand of God's good news, the good news he has now found in Jesus. And he's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, his Jewish family members, those that he's grown up with. And he's, he's saying, oh, God, why is it this way? He would change it if he couldn't. So Paul's heart is broken. He's grieving openly. And through these three chapters, he talks about God hoping. God hoping that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians could be one. They could bring their many gifts together and be one people, be one family. But his heart is broken in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And we need to know that when we read the passages today that that is how Paul is feeling. He would like to coax his, his family from trusting in their bloodline or trusting in their pedigree or, or trusting in some great-great-grandfather or some connection to Abraham. He's trying to coax them out of that trust and pedigree to risk being God's people in love and including people who are unlike them in the family of God. Some did come. But Paul is grieving for all those who have not come. Now, this isn't a passage that asks us to bash people who are faithful Jews in this world. This is a passage of, of a faithful Jew grieving for his own family that he would seek to know the love that he has found, sharing that which has transformed his life. He's struggling with what we might call Jewish exceptionalism. You know, the chosen people, 
We are the exceptional ones, which means all others aren't as exceptional as we are. We studied that earlier this year, what exceptional is and how it has challenged our country, how it has challenged our world, how exceptionalism in the form of this chosenness actually came through Europe and into the U.S. in the form of whiteness and northern Europeanness, and how northern Europeans were more exceptional than southern Europeans who were more exceptional than northern Africans who were more exceptional than lower African states. That exceptionalism came in and was even written into our Constitution that some people in the United States were three-fifths human. You know? So the exceptionalism of white, the exceptionalism of male, the exceptionalism of having power and being of a certain class was written into our structure as a country. And so we might want to say, oh, but we're really not that way. What happened in Charlottesville this weekend, that's really not us but we would be lying to ourselves. It is us. It is who we have been since the beginning, and it's who we continue to be. And now it erupts in this way. It's erupted over time in different ways, but this is the context that we have it today. So when will we give up that sin of exceptionalism, of chosenness that prides one type of person over another type of person. And when will we recognize that we can't just point at the clan or the people carrying their rifles into this fight this week? It's easy to do that, isn't it? Those white supremacists. It's easy to say they're the problem. If we get rid of them, it'd be okay. But we know it's been with us since the beginning. If we get rid of the loud, invisible ones, it doesn't change our structures are structures that are white supremacist structures that are meant to lift one class of persons and to put down another class of persons. So you know, you who are white may not know, that I get privileges because of the skin that I have. I get it all the time. I can barely even get a car ticket in Houston when I've tried. When I have tried. You know, so I have privileges from, these, from the skin that I didn't earn, but what we may not recognize is the system that's in place is, is supremacist. It's to keep white male privilege at the top, and it does a good job. All you have to do is look at who's in prison, look what the economy is, look who gets paid what, women's wages next to men's wages. All you have to do is see those things and know that it's working, it's in place right now. Goodness. Should our hearts be broken as God heart, God's heart is broken this day? But let's not point at others. Let's just ask ourselves the questions and how we participate in it now. And what might we do to make it change? Paul's heart's broken, but you know, he didn't start off there. Paul was one of those people that when they first suggested that Gentiles should be a part of the Jewish faith, decided they needed to be killed. And he got sanction from the government to go around and encourage others to actually discriminate and execute people who were practicing the Christian faith. Paul was angry that some said that everyone was the same, that God shows no distinction, as he says in the scripture this morning, not that God sees no colors. God sees all colors and celebrates all beauty, but that God makes no distinction all of our value is good and all of our value is loved. So Paul is angry 
He had to be knocked blind for several days before he could get it. Are we willing to pray for that? God knocked me blind for several days. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to get it. If you just do it for one day, it might be too fast. I might not actually get the whole thing, but maybe if I'm kept in mystery long enough, I might be able to be different when I wake up. I might be able to be different. So Paul is trying to get the Jews and the Greeks, the Gentiles in Rome, to find a different definition of we. We that is bigger than any of their cultures, any of their languages, any of their culture, any, anything that would keep them separate from each other. Goodness. We've seen it this week. God's heart breaks open that we still aren't able to do that. And if we still want to keep the separate so strong, then this Romans letter is bad news for us. It's bad news that God is so generous and loving. It's good news for us if we're ready to wake up and wonder what it would be like to make God's kingdom more full here and now at resurrection in Houston, in the United States, in the world to find transformation. Then the letter to Romans is good news for us. One pastor this week thinks it's bad news but says it's good news. The pastor Jeffries in Dallas, did you hear this story earlier in the week? He's a a megachurch pastor, and he said, In the case of North Korea, God has given Trump authority to take out Kim Jong-un. Jeffress told the Post that this get, that, that gives the government the authority to do whatever, whether it's assassination, capital punishment, or evil punishment, to quell the actions of even evildoers. This is the pastor of a megachurch in Dallas. He's, he then quotes a passage in Romans, which I thought, well, we're going to have to talk about this on Sunday. We've been studying Romans. He quotes a passage in Romans chapter 13. Uh, we're not there quite yet, but he quotes a passage in Romans chapter 13 to support what he is saying. And I want to say to you this day, he's taking it out of context of the whole book because the whole book we know is learning how to make communities live together and how to work together and how to get beyond difference in order to be one in Christ. He's not about telling people to go nuke other countries. This is out of context. But I wanted to go to, the, even though we're in chapter 10 this morning, we're going to jump to chapter 12 and 13 because this is where this quote came from. And I want to read to you what's just before what he quoted. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Doesn't sound like nuking anybody to me. (laughs) If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know? Clap for Paul here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says God. No, if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they are thirsty, you give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads from just being nice and from serving. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is where he starts quoting. For there is no authority except from God and those authorities that exist 
have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Keep going. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. Now I have to stop right there. Paul is betraying something of his nature. He is all about including the Gentile Jews and making one community. But he's talking from his particular context in the world. When we get to this part of the passage, we have to remember that Paul is a Roman citizen. Paul has his papers. They've tried to put Paul in before in jail. They've tried to do it multiple times, and Paul whips out his Roman citizenship and says, not me, I'm a Roman citizen. And so even as we read about Paul being so uh, open and inclusive of everyone, we have to see a little bit of blindness in the fact that he's telling people who don't have their papers yet to trust the authorities. He's telling people who know they're treated differently to go ahead, the government's good, because I, Paul, have experienced it that way. I have not had to go to jail when they tried to put me in jail because I've had my papers. So I just highlight that part to bring it out because even as Paul is inclusive in one way, he's unaware of his privilege. He's unaware of what his Roman citizenship has done for him and what he's actually telling people for whom this could be harmful advice to trust all those in power. You know? But as it goes on, this passage, but if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. And what I think is important here is that Paul is talking about police. Paul is talking about when you have an argument against your neighbor, don't kill them. Don't pluck out an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Paul is saying, breathe, be at peace to your neighbor, do good for your neighbor, and let the authorities do what needs to be done for those who do wrong. He's assuming that only the wrong get something wrong happening to them, but let the authorities do that. He's not saying bomb another country. He's saying this specific individual may have done wrong. You, it's not your job to make sure they're punished. It's not your job to do vengeance. Rest, trust God, and let the governing authorities do something. Hopefully something, hopefully anything, and hopefully justly. But remember, it's coming from someone that has their Roman citizenship as he's making this recommendation. So I want to tell you the pastor from Dallas in the Baptist church there, he's pulling out of context a message about a single person, and he's actually pulling it out of the context of it being about not doing vengeance when he says to go bomb other countries. And we wonder how people get these ideas from the gospel. Angela shared with me this morning before we came in, she said, you know, I, there's some people on my Facebook feed that have said these things that, you know, I've, I've had to defriend some of them. And he said, and I know when we went to, went to church, we sat and heard the same sermons. We heard about God's love. We heard about Jesus. We heard about all these things. I can't believe what they are saying now. This original sin that predates the U.S., that comes through Europe to us now of exceptionalism continues to poison our relationships with all who are different. We've encoded it. It continues. We have to work hard to resist it. 
Now, there's a, another theologian, just don't take my word for it, who talks about Romans chapter 13 that this fellow quoted. N.T. writes, a conservative scholar, says, actually, we, none of us, want to live in a world where the bullies get away with it. Except when we are planning to do the bullying ourselves. Okay? He says, one of the great problems of Christian moral teaching discourse has been precisely that Romans 13 does not deal with such matters as war. That is why just war theory was invented. We need a whole other sermon on what just war theory is. But what this scholar is saying, this isn't about war. This isn't about that at all. It does not address these matters. Romans 13 is dovetailed into an argument against taking private vengeance. So I wanted to prepare you this morning as you hear more quotes like this. You know, I love the little poster that says, I'm already against the next war. Um, But as you hear quotes like this, invite the person who's with you who's saying it to read all of chapter 13, to read all of 12 in front of it, all of 14 behind it, and indeed the whole book of Romans, because what will happen is they'll know that the way it's being preached is an error. And we as a people want to not make that same mistake. So back to chapter 10. That was a detour. That was a detour. Back to chapter 10. Paul's heart is still broken. Paul is still grieving. He's still wanting the people to come together in ways that has yet to be seen. When he comes to visit them in Rome, he would like them to be one people. Many gifts, one spirit. Paul would love for that to be the case. But in chapter 10, we get the idea that some people don't think that's good news. Some people are fighting it. Some people think that's bad news. Today in our situation, today some people think this proclamation is bad news because it means that all of us are loved by God and that's too much for them to bear. And God gives to all the same. So the proximity of God and God's salvation is good news or bad news depending on your point of view. If you're engaged in practices you don't want God to know about, it's bad news. If you want salvation for yourself but not for those whom you disdain, it's bad news. God's availability to all is bad news to you if you don't want that. In either case, God's salvation may be too close for your or our comfort. Oh, we pray that God breaks our heart as God's heart is broken. If we see signs that say Black Lives Matter and we get our feathers ruffled, we may wonder if this gospel of Paul and Romans is good news or bad news for us. When I read this whole sign, it's hard to see up there. It says, yes, all lives matter, but we are focused on the black ones right now, okay? Because it is very apparent that our judicial system doesn't know that. Plus, if you can't see why we're exclaiming Black Lives Matter, you are part of the problem. Paul is reaching out to his Jewish family and friends and saying, come along, come along, come along. My heart is breaking. My heart is breaking. As a white person who is a uh, recipient of white privilege because of white supremacy that's still in our system, my heart breaks. All of our hearts should break saying, everyone come along, how can we change a system 
How can we get rid of this original sin that continues and continues and continues? But we've got to remember Paul had an experience. He didn't start there. So here's another quote from Alice McKenzie. But for everyone, there needs to be a breakthrough of some kind. A moment when we call out to the Lord and access the righteousness that comes from faith. Another quote from Romans chapter 10, verse 6. It may be a moment of loss or weakness when we realize we don't have the resources to handle life alone. It may be a moment of softening of our hearts towards someone or some group we have kept at arm's length or thought of with hostility. Can we hear Paul today? Can we let our hearts be broken? Can we know that God desires it? God desires it. O people of resurrection, may God break our hearts as God's heart is broken. Amen. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Hallelujah, thine the glory.